Hey, it's Erin Anderson from Live Big Co. And you're listening to the Power to Be podcast. This season is all about the art of leadership. My guests are from all over the world. They are leaders, healers, artists, coaches, and game changers. They are the real deal. Although if you ask them, they'll say they're simply following a calling. Together, we dive into meaningful conversations about their passion, motivation, and expression in the world. We'll explore the challenges that leaders are faced with in generating inspiration in this ever-changing global environment. There's something here for you to discover. So listen in, and you'll soon find out that the secret to their success lies not in how they lead, but in who they are. Let's find out what this week's guest has the power to lead. Hello, Nicole. Hi, Erin. <laughs> Thank you so much for joining me. This is season two of the Power to Be podcast, and I'm really excited to speak to people who I consider to be leaders in the world who are, um, they're not people who are following some plan that was, you know, predestined for them or mapped out for them by someone else. They're people who I find to be real innovators, creators, leaders, and they're doing it in their own way. And when I started thinking about people that that sort of match that descriptor, you were the first person that came to my mind because um, well, I get to I get to invite people that I admire onto this podcast, which is a, a benefit. And I've known you for quite a long time um, through our trainings, our mutual trainings that we've done together. And um, I, you were a client of mine. I've been a client of yours. It's been just such a wonderful um, exchange of trust and um, and walking each other, you know, home to ourselves. And uh, for that, I'm very grateful. And I also wanted to have you on because I feel like you're, I want to hear more from you, obviously, but I, I really feel like you're doing things for people in a way that it, it, it just doesn't seem typical, which I really, really appreciate. <laughs> so I just would, my, I guess my first question for you is, what is, um, what is something, well, let's just start here. What is something you're really focused on right now? And what are you what are you up to? What am I up to? Man, that's mm. a big question, Erin. I know. <laughs> so what are you up to? What am I up to? <laughs> um, the biggest thing I'm up to right now is my new book, 24 Ways to Move More, which came out in October 2020. And it's been a really, really big project. And it's one that goes back years. It goes back to when I started writing a column for the Seattle Times Fit for Life, which I started writing in 2012. And it's really around how do you move your body more, um, putting together a lot of my learnings and wisdom from six years of writing that column into a book format. And so it's just been, and there's been just so much learning. It's my third book and there's been a lot of learning around launching a book, around getting people excited and what that is. And then also moving that um, and making that part of my work-life balance coaching business. And so there's a whole bunch of pieces happening at the same time around it uh, that have been really fun and really exciting and a huge experience of growth as well. Yeah. I mean, gosh, I, uh, I admire anyone who can produce a book. Holy. It's a, it's, that's a feat in itself. It is. <laughs> it is. <laughs> it's, it's not a small effort. And people do ask me about it all the time. And it, you know, and I'm happy to talk about that piece as well, but it is a lot to get to that point of putting the book out into the world and then really understanding what you're trying to do with it, I think is a big part of it, like your intention and then what you're trying to do with it. I think there's, th that's the place I'm at now. Like a lot of people are very curious about getting the book deal, like getting the ideas, getting all of that off the ground, which is huge. And then being at the point, once the book is out of understanding what you're doing now that it's out in the world. Mm -hmm. So what is it that you hope to achieve with this book? Um, you know, I really, I feel like I only dialed this in recently, which is so funny, right? Because I've been working on it for a while. And its job is really to help people understand themselves better. 
and to know themselves through movement. And that's what I do with people in general in my coaching business. But it is really important that, but movement, I realized through writing the book, was, was such an instrumental part of my journey of understanding myself. And so how do you now then use this? And the, the book is really designed for a year of movement, two new movements per month, so that you can start to develop this muscle of trying new things. Because that's really what I mastered when I was writing the column. I tried over 300 classes. And so I really just got to be bad at a lot of things. You know, I would try, I was, I would just be like, all right, I'm going to go do, you know, martial arts now. Okay. Now I'm going to go take a dance class. And, you know, and every time I was always a beginner. And what I realized is that is an underestimated skill as an adult is being a beginner. And Mm. That is one thing I think is really important. And it was actually a skill set, I think, that has served me in general in life very well. And I think in particular with dealing with change and unexpected challenge, which is pretty much all of 2020. And so all of that has really helped me just be a resilient person. And so I feel like that, that, that I want people to understand, like, you can try new movements as an adult for fun, for challenge, for whatever reason, but it's actually going to teach you a lot about yourself along the way. And so that's what I wanted people to get because people used to read my column, be like, oh, look at her doing all her stuff. And now I'm like, now it's your turn. You know, why don't you go out, try some new stuff, see how you can start to develop that new muscle of beginning again and realizing, because, you know, Aaron and I, we've been, I've known you for so long. We know this. There's no predicting life. There is no controlling outcomes. There is no way you can ever really know. Like you can be, you know, and you and I are big vision and goal setters. And there's no way you can really know how anything is ever going to go. So to me, it's like, how do you build up your toolkit so that you can actually handle whatever it is that does come along the way? And this book is really there for people to explore that, that side of themselves. You know, there's so many things that come to mind. I, uh, first of all, I, th- I think about this one guy I met. He was a ski racer, and he was a very proficient ski racer. He, I think he just barely missed the mark at the Olympics, but his family was really oriented around ski racing, and it's what he did growing up, and he did it all through you know, university years and into his adult life. And I remember I met him when I was about, you know, we were in our 30s, and he, I, I was asking him about his commitment to ski racing and, and the, what that was like growing up. And he said, you know, it was really great, except now I I can't shoot a hoop with the guys. And he was saying how limited his life had become because he'd only moved in one way. And he actually really reflected about how, how it had been yeah, there was benefits to that commitment, but he didn't know how to move in any other way, which actually went into his relationships and into his job performance. And it really created this box for himself. So I love what you're speaking to about not being not being uh, so um, adverse to trying new things and being a beginner and not being stuck in preference and performance. Like you don't have to, you know, all be Olympic level athlete. Like you can suck. Why not? Oh yeah, totally. Like I take a tap class and I talk about tap a lot because I'm really bad at tap. And I talk about it because, you know, I do other things where I'm really pretty proficient physically, but tap class, I'm terrible. I mean, (laughs) I really just am not, I don't have like the choreography brain and Mm. all the people in my class took tap as kids, which I didn't. And so then I'm like watching them and I'm like, ah, you know, I follow my friend Courtney. And then I laugh about it too, because I always have to tell myself over and over again, when I'm in there, like, you're not going to get better if you stop going. Right? right. So the only way to get better is to just persistently do it. And there's more I could do. I was laugh at myself. Like I never practiced between classes, which would help. And, you know, there, it's also just for me fun. It's not something I'm taking super seriously, but it's really interesting how much I can get critical of myself in the class or hard, hard on myself because I can't keep up with the steps. And yet I'm also having so much fun. Right. There's just this level of challenge available to me in tap that I don't get in other parts of my life, just that mental, physical challenge of doing this technique. And so I keep going back because I'm also like, I know, I just know the truth is like, I can't get better if I give up. So I just stay with it. And I think there's something to figuring out where in your life, where there's something that something new could help you learn something about yourself. Well, and talk about low stakes. I mean, it's like it's tap, right? Like, 
yeah, go figure out what makes tap better uh, or yourself better at tap so that you can go out and make, uh, figure out ways to be better in your relationships or at your job or, you know, where the stakes are higher. Yeah. Absolutely. And that we have to be resilient. I think that's been a big word for the year. People mm-hmm. talk a lot about resilience and it is really important, you know, because there is like life does keep throwing things at you and how can you be resilient around it and adapt and be okay with change. And I think that I've been remarkably good with change this year because of it. I'm just like, yeah, it's fine. You roll with the right. punches. Yeah. You're like, okay, well it changed. And then you just go with the change versus being like, oh my God, it changed. Cause yeah, it is, it is constant. We don't like it, but it is constant. And so then how do you adapt to it instead of resisting it? Well, and I I love what you're saying because really all that change is, is just something new. So it's like, here are five new steps for you in your, in your, um, in your tap class. And so that's like, okay, new and change, but also here's a pandemic and here's a, I don't know, a breakdown or here's a health challenge or here's a, you know, loss, you know, that's all part of change and change is just new. Exactly. Just, I love that. That makes me feel so good about change. You, <laughs> <laughs> like a new adventure. Yes, yes, for sure. So, how did this? How did this happen for you? Like, wh- where where do you think that you became really curious about change and and resilience and movement? Like, wh- where did that start to gel for you? I think it was actually while I was writing the column because when I look back at my movement history in my life, right? I was, when I was little, I did ballet and ice skating. And then I quit those at some point and I did tennis. And then, and then as an adult, I didn't really identify as a mover as an, or as an athlete. And I even would say as a kid, I didn't either. And so it really shifted by changing the experience of myself physically. So even becoming, doing a lot of yoga and becoming a yoga teacher, I didn't really identify still then as an athlete per se. Mm -hmm. I just felt like I was stronger. And I could mm. do, and I could do yoga. Like that was it, right? And, and so when you know when the paper asked me to write the column, I was like, "That's weird. I'm not a fitness person." I was like, "I do. You guys know this, right? I just do yoga." And they're like, "Well, yoga seems like a great credential for a fitness column." I was like, "Is it? I don't know. You know, like what do I know? I don't know because I really, literally, didn't go to the gym. Like I didn't do anything except for yoga at that time." And so I, you know, in the column was like, try new things. And so I started to do new things. And it took a couple of years of me feeling really just like, you know, I felt pretty strong. Like yoga definitely gives you a really strong foundation. But it was really difficult because I didn't feel like a fitness person per se. Like I just was trying all this different stuff. And at some point I realized that I was actually really quite strong. And then I started committing to different kinds of movement. And then I started to realize like as long as, and and also part of it was my gym. And their ethos is that if you have a body, you're an athlete. Hmm. And so it's not about how fit you are, how strong you are, anything. Like if you can move, that makes you an athlete. And that helped me a lot. Like it helped me feel like, oh, it doesn't matter how much weight I lift, how many things I do or whatever it is that then I just movement in general makes me an athlete. And I think I apply that to everybody I meet because, you know, I get people who are asking about this book who are a lot older and they're like, what do I do? And I'm like, you know, movement is chair yoga for 15 minutes. Mm. Movement is walking around the block. Like we have movement in this box of fitness, which is like, I must do an hour long, super intense, sweaty something or it doesn't count. And I'm like, well, I don't, you know, I have this one woman, um, who's in my, I have a movement group and she, made me laugh because she ran with her three children around a park in Seattle the other day and like filmed a video and posted it. And it just cracked me up. I was like, exactly. (laughs) Like do whatever works for your life. Like don't make it a thing. If you can't run the whole time, but you ran a hundred yards with your kids. Great. You know, you dance to an entire song. Totally. The whole song. You Mm -hmm. did the whole three minute song. Awesome. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Mm -hmm. And I think that the more we can break out of this idea of what has been told to us as fitness, the more I think a lot of people I find are discouraged by it. And one of the things I found also over time is having tried that many classes is that if it's not fun, go try Mm. something else. Mm. Like, don't make your torture yourself. Like, if it's not fun, there are so many other ways to do things. Go find, go keep trying them till you find something you really like. And I'm sure out of 24, hopefully you'd like at least three to five, and then you can do those. Right. It's not meant to be punitive. Like, we've got to take the punishing out of the fitness world. Exactly. The shame and the punishment. And yeah. 
Yeah. Striving to look a certain way. You know, my dad is 88. He just turned 88 and he still road rides several times a week. He plays golf several times a week. He hikes. He's, he's a super, you know, active guy. You would never know that he's 88. And his motto is move it or lose it. It's, it's true. Kind of yeah. It's really true, right? Move it or lose it. But I love how you speak to like the lose it part is more than just a physique thing. It's it's deeper than that, isn't it? For sure. And I think this is the big piece of it. The reason I want people to have fun is because that's human nature and design is like it's supposed to be fun. Like you literally have a body because you're it's supposed to move. Like it's designed to move. It's not designed to sit on a chair. And so it's designed to move. And when you really get access to it, then you get access to yourself, which is joy. And that is what I'm always looking for people. And the more you feel joyful, the more you feel connected to yourself. And the more you can actually now know what it is you're supposed to be doing in the world instead of doing the things that other people tell you to do. Like you were talking about at the beginning, like these prescribed ideas of life come because we we put ourselves into these boxes of like, oh, this is how it's supposed to go. But when you start to move out of that box and you say, hey, I'm going to try this instead or do this instead. And you're like, oh, now I'm having fun. Then it's like, keep going in the direction of fun and joy, not in the direction of I have to or what limits me or constrains me in my life. seems like a great prescription for life in general. Yes, I agree. Yeah. Yeah. With the people that bring you joy, do the work that brings you joy. And what I love is, you know, something I'll often say is that we have as human beings, one purpose and many missions. Mm -hmm. And so we can be up to many different things. So I asked you, what are you up to? And you're like, whoa, that's a big question because you are up to a lot of things, but we we have many missions, but one purpose. And the one purpose is to bring joy to the world. And we can't bring joy to the world if we're not experiencing joy. And so I love how your you know formula is joy connected to purpose and to feeling like you're living on purpose. Exactly. It is really important because I feel like people who are stressed and anxious and depressed mm-hmm. can't live in their purpose. Right. Like how could you? How could you know yeah. what that is? You don't even know what it's like to feel connected to yourself and your body, right? Wow. Yeah. And no amount of hard work or force or late nights or Instagram posts or whatever is or money or houses or partners would ever fill that, would it? No, and it has to be so simple. Like I have a client who um you know, a couple of sessions in we were really working on dialing in some rituals for her and she's like, "Nicole, I had this colossal leap forward." And I was like, "What?" And she's like, I started walking and I was like, amazing, right? (laughs) And she had only walked like five times in 10 months, something crazy like that. And she's a toddler and she has a job where she couldn't work from home. So she was commuting and she was just feeling really stressed. And so she finally, you know, she prioritized figuring it out somehow. And she started walking with a neighbor and then she started to really feel so much better. And she's like, oh my gosh, like I am now making smoothies for myself. We, you know, she feels closer to her husband. Like when her mom calls to talk about her brother, she can handle it. You know, it's like all those things of life. And it really is like, she just had to get really centered. And now we can really start to talk and move into like, okay, purpose. Like, what is it that you're here to do? What is working in your life? What is it we need to shift and change? But until you have that connection point to yourself, it's very, very, I mean, I, I would say impossible, right? Like we have to get to that clear connected space and movement is such a powerful way to do it. And then you're like, okay, now your life can open up. Wow. Yeah. You know, it's, it's, uh, what I sort of take for granted, I think is that my parents were such big advocates for movement all my life. And I never really, you know, I, I think I just took it for granted that that's just what, what we do. And I, I never really knew what it was like to live, um, a movement free life, like a, a sedentary life, um, you know, a desk life or whatever it may be. And so I, I really, <laughs> I'm now appreciating my parents even more for, um, for advocating that, that sense of self through movement, exploring nature, and even just that feeling of your foot striding on the ground, how simple that can be, how walking can give you access to yourself. I love that for your client. Yeah, I'm totally nodding over here because I think it is a big thing and that some people, you know, some people ask me this too. They're like, what if you didn't really move a lot as a kid or didn't have any joy as a kid moving? And I was like, yeah, probably because you maybe didn't have experiences like that. But it's Mm -hmm. not because your body's not capable of feeling joy in movement. 
Wow. Yeah. Right. And so, you know, because everyone did not grow up with active lives. I totally agree. And I love that you did, Erin. And I had an active life to some degree. I wouldn't say we were like a super mover family, but, you know, I had ballet classes and my mom knew and like put us in ice skating and stuff. But I do think the key is like, it's not about whether you had that childhood. It's about how do you get that access for yourself now? How do Mm -hmm. you start to find it? How do you just say, okay, like I didn't have that as a kid. I know that I feel better when I move. Maybe I don't love it. Maybe I don't have fun. So maybe I haven't tried enough stuff. Mm. Right. Right. God. That's how I I'm th- I think. I'm like, well, I think if you've tried five things, have you tried 20 more? And, you know, not to keep you packed in your schedule, but just give it a chance and see because it just might be you haven't found the right fit. Right. There's again, I tried 300 classes. There's a <laughs> lot of movement in there. Right. And I love that you've created an entire book, 24 Ways to Move More. And I love that it's just, you know, move more, just move a little more. And there's 24 ways. So it's not just three ways. Um, my, my husband's a real athlete and he, he has three ways that he likes to move, but he's got a really messed up knee now because of years of really hardcore skiing and years of being on the football field. And so now, you know, at a ripe age, he's realizing, oh damn, I can't move the way I used to move. And so, you know, at, at an older, you know, he's in his fifties age, he's trying to figure out, okay, now, now what do I do now? How do I move? So it's actually wonderful. I love the way you create it to be so playful and like childlike, like discover a new way. And it doesn't have to be, like you said, a workout or a super intense sweaty thing. It could be Tai Chi or yeah. Totally. There's lots of ways. And like, I love really intense movement. I love Mm -hmm. super, like I love power yoga. I love weightlifting. I love really strong stuff. And I also know that sometimes I really need to dial it back. And I think for us, a lot of times too, it's that adjustment for someone like your husband, who's an athlete to remembering that restorative yoga is movement. Yeah. Right. right. Yeah. Totally. That taking it down. Yeah. Being in a yin class and holding a pigeon pose for, I don't know, an ungodly amount of time and thinking, okay, I'm still here. I'm in this pose and I'm freaking out and there's chaos happening in my body. It was like total movement. There were things moving. <laughs> for sure. There's so yeah. much moving. Yeah. Yeah. So I think there's both ends of the spectrum that really can benefit from shifting how you think about it, right? Again, like that only the sweaty, intense, blah, blah, blah. Like it was a big shift for me to realize how much walking is an important movement. And I'll just tell you too, there's a lot of studies around it too, that I think there was some postal workers, it's in the book, that they walk 15,000 steps or more a day and it made a significant decrease in rates of heart disease. And so when you can realize too, like that kind of stuff, it doesn't have to be complicated again. Like for me, if I get 10,000 steps, which is like four to four and a half miles, I feel good. Like I'm like, okay, I moved today. It doesn't have to be fast. It doesn't have to be intense. If I'm tired, I walk slow. But just doing that is actually really sustaining my health overall and my body. And it always clears my head. Like if I'm feeling jammed up about work, I take a walk. And so those are all the things. And really, you know, movement literally moves energy in your body. It moves your mind. If you're actually stuck an idea at work, I'm like, get up, take a walk around your house, and you'll actually be amazed at how you can actually dislodge whatever it is you are stuck on. And so do it. And there's all these studies. This is an amazing book on walking that talks about there was this guy who was how old was he? I don't want to misquote him, but he was in his seventies, I believe. And he was called the last great American pedestrian. And he walked from New York city to San Francisco in like 1930, something like that. Mm. And um, it was really powerful. And they talked a lot. There was a lot of stats in that book talking about the advantages and what happens literally physically and energetically in your body when you move frequently and for sustained durations, like what he was doing. So I always think about those things as well. It's like, well, if I feel stuck, it's because I am stuck. Yeah. So then I should just walk and then I'll be fine. And so for me, it's like, people always ask me like, how do I have time? And I'm like, well, how do you not make time? Yeah. Right. Well, you could spend more time wondering and trying to figure out how to be unstuck, or you could just become unstuck by move, by moving. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. I read a, a lovely book by uh, a Norwegian, a charismatic, charismatic Norwegian fellow named, uh, I'm going to pronounce his name wrong, wrong probably, but Erling Krag. 
it's um, no CAG, K-A-G-G-E. And it was a book called, it was just simply called Walking. And it was interesting because I saw it on the shelf in the bookstore and I just had to have it because I, I love to walk. It's my favorite thing to do. I'll go out for, you know, hour and hour and a half every day and get completely just lost in my thoughts and, and being, I actually have a hard time not doing that. And so I picked up, picked up this book and this is a very um, interesting fellow who walked across both poles. So the South Pole and the North Pole. And he also climbed Mount Everest. So he calls it that he walked all three poles on the on the earth. And what's interesting about the book is, is it, very little of the book is actually about those three expeditions, which I was kind of excited to read about. And most of it was just what his daily walks are like and how he talks about his, his, um, his feet, the bottom of his feet connect are the, uh, connected to his brain. So the, they're two far apart poles in your body, your feet and your brain. And when you walk, you activate your brain by activating your feet. And he talks about this on this real spiritual level and how it's really a spiritual um, act being out there walking and being with yourself and noticing the leaves and noticing the ground and noticing your feet in your shoes. So talk to me about, about what your view is on, on that, like the spiritual aspect of, of movement. Oh yeah, absolutely. For me, it does. I feel the same. Like what he was, you were describing feels exactly how I feel when I walk is that there's a connection point to earth and there's um, trails near my house that I like to go to that are really close that are in nature. So that's my preferred way to walk, although I'm happy to walk in the neighborhood itself. Mm-hmm. And then feeling that more expansive experience, like a bigger experience. And I think for myself too, I also always think about like honoring the land that I'm on, like the origin of the land, like indigenous peoples. I always think about that piece of it as well when I'm walking, that it's not really my territory, but like, where is this, where is this land from? Like, where was it originally, you know, who walked this land before? And Mm. so that's actually a really cool part of it for me. And then it's also a connection, spiritual time for me in general. Like I can have a more expensive space to feel there's something outside of myself. Mm. And I would say too, because hiking was one of the first places I really enjoyed moving a lot. And then I used to always think it was nature and being outside on a mountaintop, that was really it. And then the more I started doing lots of different kinds of movement, like yoga also gave me that expansive feeling too. And then walking gives it to me now. But I would actually say that all movement, when I really connect into what's going on, gives me that expansiveness because my body is actually that place, right? And so Mm -hmm. walking, Hmm. yeah, so walking is so cool because it gives me that really fast connection. But I would say too, the more you spend time realizing that it's actually the movement because your own body is like that prayer, you know, like being in your body as a prayer. And so I always think about it regardless, like yes, walking and all movement because it's connecting you to you. Mm. All movement connects you to you. I love that. It's so simple. Such an easy thing to, such an easy thing to actually remember that movement connects me to me. Yeah. And, and I like how you're talking about it being a form of prayer. Where did you discover that? Or is it something you discovered on your own or did you learn that? Like say more about that. Yeah, I you know, I feel like that language I've learned from our teacher Suzanne Conrad and then the work that I do otherwise. But it is something I feel like I've always felt. Because mm. I you know, the only place I think the first place I ever really had spiritual connection in my life was hiking. And that was definitely the one place like being in mountains. I used to live in Alaska, like big mountains, you know, Europe, North and Canada. It's like the big mountains really gave me that spirituality. And mm. then the longer, and again, I would say that the over time, the book, um, writing the column, all of those pieces putting it together made me realize how much movement was my form of prayer, of connecting to myself and feeling like there was something beyond myself because I would experience doing things that were really hard. I mean, even tap class is like that, like doing things that are really hard, but realizing I can do hard things or I can do things beyond what I think I can. Mm. And to me, that's like prayer. It's like you're doing things beyond what you think you can do. You're trusting, you're taking some kind of leap, whether it's to get to the end of tap class or some (laughs) big, you know, or some bigger purpose in your life or some big Mm. project you're working on or having good relationships with your parents, whatever it is, right? Like whatever it is, that's the challenge or the struggle in your life that when you have that connection point, you're like, okay, yes, I can do things beyond what I think I can do. And to me, that's like where prayer is because there's always a leap when you don't believe it, but you have to go there anyway. 
Wow. Yeah. That's an incredible, I've never heard prayer defined like that, but yeah, I, 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 I've always, um, I, I didn't grow up uh, with an access to a lot of, um, uh, formal, you know, um, I didn't go to church. I, I wasn't really, um, raised in this sort of formal education around, um, what prayer is or even what spirituality is. We were, as kids, we were just sort of, um, you know, left to discover it for ourselves. And a lot of it did come, like you say, in the mountains for us as a family, we did a lot of hiking and a lot of big mountain hiking in the Himalaya or in the, in the Rockies. And that, that really truly was a spiritual experience, but without defining it the way you just did, I, I just sort of felt something. I just had this sense, you know, there's, there's something more, but what I really appreciate you just said that I got was that it, a prayer is a leap. It's not a putting an order in at the drive through So that's a good idea too, but it's beyond that, right? Yeah. It's beyond well, that. I think of, I think I've always thought of prayers almost like that just for like, forgive the, you know, uh, the limited view about it. I guess it just, I, I always wondered if, is it really like just sitting there asking for stuff? And I like, I like that idea, like, uh, you know, show me, show me the way, or, you know, there's some different requests, but, but I like that it, it is toward the leap, like toward the thing, like show me the strength I need to do this hard thing or yeah. Yeah. I, um, there's this, I keep talking about this podcast, but I'll share it on here too. That was between Oprah and Joel Osteen. Mm. And it was so powerful. But one of the things that really stuck with me is what he said is, believe big, pray bold. Wow. And that's... But you said it's a a prayer is something where you don't even believe that it's possible. Like it's almost like, yeah. And I guess that's the bold part. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Because you may not believe you'll actually get it. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, and so that is part of what it is. And, you know, he obviously advocates believing really big for it and then praying really bold to get there. And so- Will you say what, what he said one more time? Believe big, pray bold. Wow. Believe big, pray bold. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I feel like I should clarify what I say about believe. It's like that part of you, that lower part of you that doesn't believe it. Yeah. It's not that you don't really believe it. Sure. You know what I mean, right? I do. Yeah. And so it's really about like, there is a part of you that knows somehow that you could get there, but you need that bold prayer to get you there. Right? Yeah. It's that ego brain that wants you to doubt and stay small and stay safe and don't ask for that. It's too big. Exactly. Mm-hmm. And you do quite a bit of work with people around that, don't you? For sure. Yeah. I always, we work a lot on what is it that you're accessing in the body and really understanding when you are in that access to self on a higher plane and then, you know, operating your life from that place rather than in a lower place of doubt or worry or stress or anxiety. And it's, um, and movement is a big part of that. And just in general, like how do you, can you get it in a moment at any time? Mm. And you, so uh, your coaching practice is, is a lot about helping people live on purpose and have, now you, the, the words you use is work-life balance. So talk to me a bit more about that. Yeah. Well, I find people, I work with high achieving women and, and I, a lot of women of color. And what happens with people is when you're a high achiever, you're not balanced. You know, mm. that you're just working really hard. I have a lot of people who just challenge to find the actual balance because sometimes they come to me and they're succeeding so much in their career, but they really want a relationship. And so, mm. okay, let's get you that. I have some women right now who are in their late 50s, 60s who are wanting to transition out of their career. What's next? Right. And so finding mm. that balance for the next piece of their lives. Um, yeah. And so I think that for in general, people who are really, who are strivers, and I do think this is a big thing for women in general is around perfectionism and a lot of beliefs they have around needing to be perfect or ways they're supposed to achieve. And so what happens is when they feel that way is they don't feel balanced and they're not, they're not all in and all the pieces of their lives. And so always working with people around, okay, yes, career for sure is a huge part of your purpose on your planet. But for me, my number one priority is my, is family. Mm -hmm. Right. Like you can look at me and whatever, all the social media stuff and say, oh my gosh, she's all about her career. But my parents are in my house right now. Like it's, it's, it's absolutely family for me is such a high priority and to be all in in my life means all in and all those pieces of it. And so that's where balance to me comes in 
like I work really hard, but I don't ever work at sacrifice to those other things. And so right. how do you, yeah. And so that's where balance comes in. And I think a lot of people struggle with that, or even though they're doing all those things, I have definitely have friends like this with, you know, kids at home. It's been a big challenge this year. Yeah. They still don't feel balanced. Sure. Right. Like they're doing all the things they're like helping their kids or doing their jobs or doing all this stuff, but they don't feel spacious around it. So that's also a big part of what balance is to me. It's like, how do you actually feel in your life that you can handle it? That you're spa- mm. right, you're spacious. You're able to feel centered and grounded, even while you're doing the hundred things a day that you're doing. Well, and the big thing that I hear is so so you know, as a high high achiever or people who are out there really striving and doing big things, they're they're loving it. They're like thriving and doing doing really cool things. But what I hear quite a bit is the no, uh, I have no choice aspect, where they're like, yeah, but you know, this is really great and I'm doing such cool things. But you don't you don't understand. I don't have choice. I don't have. I just don't have the time to spend time with my family, even though I want to be with them. Or I, you, you don't understand. I have no choice. I can't work out. I can't. I can't take care of my body. I have no choice. And it's that no choice part that feels like doom to me. That's that's something to clear, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I think it comes up for people in lots of ways. Like they're really tired. They're fatigued. Mm-hmm. They don't have time. I can't tell you how many people tell me they don't have time. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm like, yeah, of course. And there's ways to look at your life, rebalance things, find that spaciousness for yourself. And then, yes, yeah, so that you do have the time and space to prioritize your family, to know how to do those things, right? Like I think all of us, like I'm taking a week to drive my parents to California like literally leaving tomorrow. And it's just part of it. Like I have a lot on my to-do list and I'm taking the week off, you know? Right. And, and it's, ha- it's yeah. not like your life stops. No. It's not like your life. Yeah. It's not like you You have to like put the whole, your whole life on pause so that you can drive your parents. It's, it's part of it. Mm-hmm. Exactly. And so it just has to be part of life is like all of those pieces. And I just always think about that. The more you do the work and you you start to get more centered and you're in your purpose that as you rise up, your capacity for all, being all in and all pieces of your life grows and so that you mm-hmm. can do everything that you want to do. So it's not like you have more time, but you just understand what it takes, right? And this always brings me back to, you know, thinking about the faith piece of it. We didn't really talk about that with prayer, but I always think about faith. And I was talking with some women in my community yesterday about it because it's not just about belief, right? So it's about believing that you can, but it's also the committed action, right? Mm -hmm. And that's something Suzanne always talks about, belief plus committed action. And I was talking to them a lot about it. I'm like, I know you all believe in your dreams, but you have to take the committed actions to get there. Yeah. Right. Like if you don't do that, it won't go anywhere. I think that all the time about my business or about getting this book into the world or, you know, making sure my parents have like a really good transition. So what does that take? It's got to be belief and committed action. And I always think about that and remind myself and other people that that's how we know that we're really moving things in the direction we want it to go is we believe in it. And then we take the steps to get there. Yeah. And that feels like movement to me. And the other thing about the committed action piece is that faith being belief plus committed action doesn't mean belief plus being perfect. It actually goes back to what you were talking about, about being willing to be a beginner, about being willing to kind of, you know, mess up and being willing to be at the back of the class, not getting any of the choreography and completely out of step. You, you, but you are in action and you believe in the, the movement. You believe in what this can be doing for you. So I, I, I love how this is sort of becoming full circle around committed action is the movement piece and it doesn't have to look pretty. No, and it will definitely not look pretty. Yeah. Right? Like it won't. Like <laughs> yeah. if you're really in faith and you're really mm-hmm. working in your life, like God, there's so many things that are messy, Aaron, in life, mm-hmm. you know? And my tab class is just my great example of it. That's really simple. But like all the time in life, there's so many things that are messy. And that doesn't mean we don't do it. And I think yeah. that's the real challenge for a lot of people I work with. And I think people in general around movement can this can come up a lot. Like, well, I don't know how to do it. Like people new to yoga, I don't know how to do it. I'm like, well then go take a beginner class. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. Don't don't make it a whole thing. Yeah. And whoever whoever said that you have to be amazing at everything you touch. Yeah. Nobody. <laughs> Where's the joy? Right. Yeah. Where's the joy? It would not be fun. That's the thing that's about it. That's so funny, Erin. Is like if you were good at everything, your life would be really boring. 
So boring. Mm-hmm. I remember I got to a point with uh, skiing where I, you know, I, I've lived in Whistler as a ski town for, you know, most of my life actually. And I, I remember one day these weird little skis came out. I, I, I think they're called blades and they're like these weird little tiny skis that are just slightly longer than your ski boot. They're maybe another foot on either side of your ski boot. And, um, and they're quite parabolic. So they got a wide, a wide, wide um, tip and a wide uh, tail. And so I thought, oh, I'm going to, I'm going to try these. Oh my God. It, it, they're like being on a rail every single time. And you have to do, you have to do these really deep carving turns. And I think I screamed the whole way down, you know, the same run that I've skied, skied, you know, probably a million times. And I, my hair was on fire and I was like shrieking. And then I was fully sweating by the end of it. I think I had the biggest grin on my face because I was hanging on by my teeth. I was not nailing it. I must've fallen 12 times or even turned around in circles. But, you know, I actually remember that day. That was years ago. I remember that day like it was yesterday. Like that's really that that flow state moment of being 100% present. And I was so far from worry and doubt and concern for what I look like. I was literally hanging on. I think that's such a gift. It was a great gift in my life. Oh yeah, for sure. And that's why I think challenge is so fun, right? That when mm-hmm. you do something different, something hard or difficult, and you're like, I don't know how I'm going to do this. Yeah. You have to be present. Like if I space out and tap class, there is a great cost. <laughs> like I'm like, oh my God, what's happening? I can't keep up. <laughs> and so I have to just tune in and I'm so present. I think that's part of the reason I keep going back and I love it. It's just like, it's a f- an hour of total focus. Right. I love. I, I really appreciate these moments too. Like you're you're speaking to about the tap class or me on these blades, and it's kind of fun because it's not. Um, there's no way actually that in those moments or those examples that we can over effort. Like in those moments, you're trying. You're, you're like literally hanging on by by the skin on your teeth. So there's no chance for posturing or over efforting or trying to look a certain way. Like it just doesn't. So I, I, I really have, I'm developing this new appreciation for really putting something new out there, something that I'm not an expert in, something I've never done before, something I'm, I'm not, not trained in, something I'm not totally prepared for. Why not? Right? For sure. And I think I've actually felt the column has been over for a couple of years now. And it, I miss it, actually. Like, I miss that constant being a newbie because it sort of gives me a freedom actually to be the new person. I'm like, well, I'm not supposed mm. to be good at it. And so then I feel really good about it if I do better than I thought or whatever, or I'm just not good at it, but there's literally just no expectations on it. Oh, what a what a gift. And it's actually really cool. And I think it's sort of, you know, as adults, like when you're a kid, you do that all the time. All the time. You don't care. You just try stuff. Mm -hmm. And then you get to be an adult. You're like, I don't try things. (laughs) You know, I don't try things. Twirl until I fall down. Yes. Twirl and twirl and twirl. Oh, I fell down. Right. Get back up. Totally. (laughs) Yeah. And then as an adult, you're like, I don't twirl because I I might fall down. (laughs) Yeah. Right. Exactly. Uh Yeah. And I, I do. And like, I tried, I tried wake surfing a month ago with a friend and that was so fun. Cause I was like, I have no, you know, and I totally biffed it on my first time. Right. Mm-hmm. And I was like, all right, well, I guess I got to try that again. Cause I, I, who I would never have thought I would have gotten it on the first one. I mean, I kind of hope, but then I was like, uh, but I didn't because I literally have never done this before. <laughs> so it's fine. Like it's not a big deal. Right. And I think that is it. And it was actually really funny trying it. Cause I was getting nervous. I'm like, what if I don't get up in the five times he said it usually takes someone to get up. Right. Like that, all that what stuff can help me. Um, yeah, totally. What does that say? I'm not really. Like going to Louisville. <laughs> totally. I wrote this book and I can't even do this and whatever. Right. And then, but then, you know, whatever. And then I got, and then they adjusted some things for me. We switched things around and I got up and then I was like, oh, this is fun. Right. And then it was just really fun. And then anything I did beyond that was like a win because it's like, you got up. And And that's it. That's all you had to do. Yeah. That's all I had to do. And that's what I think is so cool about doing new things is that you just don't have, your expectations are super low. Right. You know, I love that your book is called 24 Ways to Move More. You didn't say 24 Ways to Move Perfectly or 24 Ways to Move Expertly or 24 Ways to Move and Look Really Good Doing It. 
So I, yeah, I mean, I, I feel really inspired by you know, the, the other areas in my life. Like, you know, my husband and I've been married for, uh, I have to think about this 16 years, ah, 16 or 17. He's going to get mad at me. But so, you know, we've been married together for a long, you know, a long time. We've got two kids and, you know, our, our lives are vastly different today than they were the day we got married. And I've, I've learned to be with him in a way that is new and different year over year because I, because I have to, because he's new and different and, I, and so am I. And I remember once hearing another couple say, you know, the, the husband was really upset and he said, I just want the woman I married. You know, I've heard that a number of times and you know, that, that just seems like such a ripoff. Like, well, what about the, the woman that she's going to become or what's, what's around the corner? Can we be excited about who we're becoming now? It's all within us. It's something new, right? Like underneath the skin, right? Yeah, totally. And I think it's just being, it's really presence, right? Yeah. When you're present, that's when you get that access to the new. And that's what I love about like the movement pieces and picking new, new um, practices. Like I've never done Zumba. Like I think I better go do Zumba. Oh yeah, totally go do Zumba. Zumba's fun. Yeah, I think I might have to do you that. Know, you can do it really you can do with want- your husband. Uh, yeah. Oh, yes, totally. And both of us will be like, oh, okay, <laughs> grit our teeth and go do it. But it, I, I do really appreciate that, um, that sense of, you know, no performance, no need to nail it, just like literally experiencing something brand new, something you've never experienced before. Yes. And I'll say this because I put this in the book is that to go back and do it twice. People are like, what mm. if you hate it? And I'm like, well, you don't really know if you hate it or not until the second time because you have no muscle memory, you have no experience of doing it. So the book, I do tell everyone to go at least twice because then you might know, see if you like it more than you thought. And if it was just that you don't like doing new things that are hard, which is fine, um, can you just give it another chance? And then if it's really not working for you, then fine, go do something else. But I think that that's one thing we underestimate where like, I have to like it or love it or be good at it or whatever it is right away. But there's that piece of life where you have to do things a couple times before you can really know. As you know, I owned a yoga studio for uh, eight years and it was a power yoga studio is an, is an, in my home. So it's a small, smallish space. We could fit, you know, 16 people, but we'd usually cram like 19 in there and people would be jam packed like sardines and be sweating like crazy. And the, I had this guy who would come really regularly. He was a, a carpenter and he was, you know, always really sore. And so he'd come in and, and come and do yoga and he loved it. And he's, he's like, Aaron, one day I gotta, I gotta bring my mate. I gotta bring my buddy in here. And I said, okay, we'll do it. And so one day he finally brought his friend in and his friend, <laughs> his friend came in like the full sweatsuit. Like, I mean, like the thick sweatpants and the like zip up hoodie sweatshirt. And I think like even a long sleeve, like, I think he was thinking it was going to be the bossy nap type of, you know, yoga, but it, it's not, it was power yoga with a lot, you know, heat on and sweating. So here's this poor guy in this full on sweatsuit. He like, he was just absolutely roasting. And he walked out of the class, basically looked me in the eye and said, um, no, I'm not <laughs> doing that again. And I said, you gotta like, you gotta, you know, just take what, what this experience was, learn from it and come back and do it slightly differently. And so I was so excited because he actually came back the next day and his friend had outfitted him, took him to Lululemon, <laughs> got him some like shorts, some ABC air wicking shorts or whatever, and a nice shirt. And he had the best experience and he was completely hooked after that. So I love you saying you got to do it twice because you have so many things that you learn from that first experience. Like don't go at the front of the class or whatever. Yeah, for sure. And I mean, I always, I never got to go back to things and when I was writing the column right. and I was always kind of like, huh, maybe that would be a little bit better if I could go back. And then since then I've been able to go back to a few things and it's really cool because you learn so much. Your body learns and integrates so many things after the first time. And so I love that story about that guy and he just needed a little different outfit and then Just he a was, different yeah, outfit. He needed a different <laughs> outfit and he, he was ready to go. But I mean, I think that's true of anything. Like I've had to change mm-hmm. tap shoes. I've had to have different outfits. All of those things are part of it. And, you know, we don't really know sometimes what's making us feel uncomfortable. And then right. you just have to play with it a little bit, go back twice, just give it a chance. And then if you really, hate, you're like, no way. I'm like, all right, that's why there's, you know, 23 other ways to try. What role does intuition play in all of this? Around 
trying new movement. Yeah, trying new movement or or learning. Like you talk about the body in this amazing. Like the the body is pretty amazing. So the body is adaptable, learns really quickly, and so it it seems like intuition plays a big role in that. Like there's intuitive movement, intuitive ways of moving toward things or away from things. So yeah, what is what role does intuition play in your practice? Yeah, I mean intuition comes in in a couple different ways. Like there's the piece around movement and I just know for myself like I like intense movement. Mm-hmm. And sometimes it's not the day for intense movement. I actually need to dial it down because I've been doing too much, it's too intense. So that is where I would make choices around the kinds of movement that I'm doing. Mm. Um, that's where I think it plays in in general. And then I think for anybody that movement is, again, connecting you to your body, getting you out of that space of stress or worry. And this is what I always emphasize to people, that people sometimes feel like that stress worry is intuition. And I'm like, well, no, it's actually mm. when you're connected is that's when your intuition speaks and that's the voice to listen to. And so that's why I advocate movement so much. Like you can't access your intuition from a stress space. So when you can get into that connected space, then you would know. So sometimes I'm like, even with yoga, I'm like, I don't really feel taking an hour class, but I'm like, go for like five, 10 minutes and then just see Mm -hmm. how I feel. And then once I've moved my body and I get clear, I'm like, oh no, this feels really good. I need to be here. But I Mm -hmm. might've talked myself out of it before that. Right. And so how do I get into that clear space and then start to make good decisions and choices? And that's a big thing I think in general for people, it's like make the good decisions, choices after you've moved your body, after you've gotten connected and and then make the choice. Don't do it before. Oh my God. Making decisions when you lie in bed in the morning, first thing, you're all stressed out. I've had that. I wake up in the morning and my heart's already racing. Yeah. And then if I make a decision then, oh no, that's not a good idea. No, definitely not. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yep. I mean, Move, one of, go for a walk. Mm-hmm. Yeah. One of my rituals is always like I walk and that's how I sort through my day before I start mm. my day. So I actually walk my dog. And that's the time. And like, I kind of have a general sense of my day, but the walking is when I get really clear on what's important, what's my priorities. And so what I know to do versus my calendar is jam packed and I've got to, I can't fit it all in and blah, blah, blah. Right. I have no choice. Yeah. 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 (laughs) If you were to give, uh, if you were to offer something that you, you wish for, for people, what would it be? Gosh, I would wish for them. I mean, I would really just wish for everyone to feel joy when they move. Mm. Yeah. Because um, I see it where you people don't have it. And again, I think it's because, you know, lots of things can be, that can be why. But I, I just really wish that people could find their bodies joyful and, and experience it as joyful. Your body is a wonderland, mm-hmm. hey? It really is. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Well, thank you so much for taking this time, and um, and I feel I feel really inspired. It actually just started snowing here today, like for the first time. So there's this blanket of white snow. It's a bit sloppy, and and I kind of looked out the the window this morning. And went ah, my walk, you know, ah, my route. And now I feel kind of inspired to go slip and slide around and go and play in the snow and move my body in a, in a new way because it's a new season. It's a new day. Totally. I think walking in snow sounds amazing. I'm going to go walk in some rain after this. There you go. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Either way, it's going to be wonderful because it'll be new. And uh, and we'll be on this this big quest for joy. Yes, exactly. Every, every moment. Yeah, yeah. totally. Well, we will, I will be sharing with people where to find you and ways to work with you. And I, I do sincerely hope that everyone picks up your book. I know I will be 24 ways to move more and for people to, to check you out, um, in your coaching practice and all the amazing work you do for women and high achieving women and women of color. And I, you're, you're doing such amazing work. I'm really, um, grateful to know you. I feel the same way about you, Erin. It's been really awesome to be on this conversation with you and, you know, we really, work with people in such similar fashions. And so I appreciate this conversation. It was really fun. Yeah, it is really fun. Yeah. So fun. <laughs> Best part of my day. Other than my awesome walk coming up. Yes. Thank you so much, Nicole. We'll speak soon. Okay. Awesome. Thank you, Erin. Bye. Bye. Thank you so much for joining us this week on the Power to Be podcast. Thanks again to my guest for sharing so generously and for really lighting us up. And it's my hope that each of you who is listening is feeling inspired to get out there and live big and serve powerfully. The world is waiting for that special gift that you have. We'll see you next week. 